I think there comes a point in the work where you have to, you have to say, you know what, like, I'm not going to be okay sitting here with all this pain and anger and I need to make this jump. You have to have the courage and strength to, to jump that gap. Otherwise you're just going to be stuck and you're going to have lockjaw and you're not going to be able to, to move on. This is Katie and I'm Laura and welcome to the Radical Resilience Podcast. Katie, 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 Katie. What's up, girl? I would like to know what is bringing you joy today? I'm um, just very simple. This is actually going to be a real simple one. Um, my dad had, you know, tore his Achilles and he had surgery and he's in his crutches and stuff. And he now has an all-terrain like scooter thing. And he can't stay inside, obviously, because he's crazy active and stuff. So today we went to walk Reb. Um, Rebel, one of my golden retrievers, and, and Reb was having a really hard time also just with so many changes, I think, happening in his life and stuff. So he kind of was like he wanted to get everywhere and sniff everywhere and there's all these deers and all this stuff going on. So my dad, he was pulling and we're like, well, we might as well use this poor behavior on the leash to exhaust him for later for us instead of just try to correct him on the leash. So we gave my dad the leash and he pulled my dad through the whole walk, the whole two mile walk. And he, it was so awesome to watch my dog be like a reindeer to Santa. <laughs> Cause my dad is like, you know, he's my role model and like my best friend. So my dad just like on his thing and he picked up his other foot. So his one, you know, his one bad leg is in the thing. And then he held his other leg and he picked up the ground and Rev just pulled him. And it was, it brought me so much joy. Cause I was like, I could have looked at this and just been like, oh my God, why is he pulling on the leash? And blah, 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 you know, like, and I'm out here with my dad and we, we just turned it into something and we thought it was so funny. And then everyone we passed, um, through, we were walking along all the ocean and stuff and it's like woods on one side and then the ocean on Cape Cod on the other. And everyone loved it and was like taking pictures and thought it was hysterical and Reb loves attention. So then he was having fun. So it was like a win, 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 win for everyone. And that brought me joy today. Boom. Done. What about you? You know what? I feel inspired by your story. So I'm going to tell a golden retriever story as well. The other night I got home from just such a long weekend. I had driven three hours in the car to go help my parents out with some stuff. And when I got home, it's like 11 o'clock at night. And I just looked at Josh and I was like, you know what I want to do right now? I want to bake dog treats. And he was like, seriously. <gasps> Did you get the ones at Trader Joe's? No, no. I made them from scratch. I like bought peanut butter. Oh, I no, I bought peanut butter. I had flour and I bought a can of pumpkin and that's it. Those are the only ingredients. You mix up the flour, the pumpkin and the peanut butter, and then you roll out the dough. And then I have a cute little dog shape, dog, bis like dog bone shaped cookie cutter. I have the fire hydrant, a squirrel and a bone cookie cutter. Amazing. We're going to have to like borrow. We have to do a baking thing. Okay. I want to do a baking thing. But anyway, so I made these treats for the dogs. And I made like a hundred of them and it was so worth it because to like today they're all like crunchy and crispy and they love that by like two, I have two older retrievers, um, as most of the listeners should know by now, um, Buffy and Sadako and they are such good girls. When I have those treats in my hands, they listen to everything I say. They do all of their things. They show off like they show off so much. They're like, look at me. I know how to pee on command. Like, look at me. I know how to go inside and wait pit, pit, like on the porch for you to come back and give you know, oh, I can go inside and go right in my crate or I don't look, I don't even look at the countertop. I don't need the countertop. Like as long as I've got those treats in my hands, it makes me 
it makes my heart so warm to like see them today when I've only had like a minute or two here or there to be with them today because it's been so busy. Um, that like, at least I'm like, they're have their rapt attention and they're so joyful at this treat that I took the time to make for them. And I like, it just, it just warmed my heart to see how much they like what I give them. <laughs> that makes me so happy. But Trader Joe's has one, but it's just like, so instead of the flour, it's some mix. And then I added cheese and bacon and all different things to it. So, and and then baked them in the oven and then made them into fire hydrants. And then I gave them away for, like, I made my dogs 50. But then all the rest, the other 50, I gave to all the neighbor's dogs. Ooh, that's fun. I'll try your recipe sometime. Golden Retriever Club on this <laughs> on this podcast. It is the Golden Retriever Club on this podcast. Um, speaking of just things that bring joy, I think we've got some programs that we can talk about to our listeners here on the break. And when we come back, we have, we'll have somebody else who loves the outdoors as much as we love the outdoors and our dogs love the outdoors. We're going to introduce you to James when we come back from the break. So stick with us. Life is always happening nonstop every moment. Things either feel as if they're coming together or they're falling apart. When you're on this wild ride, the falling apart moments can feel like the end of who you are. But with the proper skill set, these circumstances that break us down become the moments that awaken us, build our strength, and cause us to grow. To prepare your skill set, I created the Revolutionary Resiliency Course, challenging yourself to go within, dig deeper, make discoveries, and learn while being guided through the exercises in soul work. Together, we will build resilience that is not just radical, but revolutionary. Visit our website, radicalresiliencepodcast.com to get started. I love you and I'll see you there. Our guest is James Flatten. James is a fun-loving outdoor living mountain man who just happens to be a mountain bike trail builder and a fly tire. James has been on the fast track of developing his physical and mental health for almost two years and is having an amazing time piecing together the puzzle of the flow farmer. Can't wait to find out what that is. Welcome to the show, James. James, what's going on? Hello, ladies. How are you doing? Good. How are you? James, what's a flow farmer? I need to know before I go. We usually start out with like a common question that we ask all guests. I can't, I cannot, I have to break with tradition and I need to know what a this flow is. This is the first time she's ever broken it, just so you know. <laughs> oh, good. Good. You got my attention in a new and different way. His Instagram is original flow farmer too. So it's the, the people oh, need to know. The people need to know. <laughs> There's a decently long story behind the name. However, cliff notes are basically, I like to cultivate flowing experiences for people through trails or even self-development work is kind of what I'm going towards nowadays. But it started as a trail builder. Like I like flowy trails. I like to ride in my flow state, like most people. And so I was creating trails and, and bringing that to people, myself included and friends. And there's a group of us that were called Flatten's Flow Farmers. My last name is Flatten. And then it, it just, it stemmed from there. So I love that. Ah, we talk about like, be like finding the moments of things that put us in flow all the time. And I really love how you described that feeling in like trails too. And, and because it's almost like what you visualize anyway, like when you're in flow, like you're, it's, you're almost like, you know, like 
everything is just moving together. Your mind is present to what's happening right here and right now, which like ideally would be the case if you're a mountain biking, right? Like that you're not like mind yeah. somewhere else that you're here and now. <laughs> like <laughs> that's amazing. Living, living smoothly and flowing like the water. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. So the question that we usually ask everybody, <laughs> oh, thank you for satisfying my curiosity. I can't believe you were willing to detour. Oh, I can like move forward now. I like was stuck there. I was like, I just need to know what that is. Um, and it was perfect. And I love that. Um, so the question that we usually kick off with is, um, so our podcast is called Radical Resilience. And those two words, they're representative of Katie and and our mashup and partnership on the podcast, you know, radical comes from the title of one of my projects and resilience is, you know, everything that Katie is about. But what we love is like, there's something kind of awesome when you put those two words together and radical has like a variety of meetings. Resilience shows up differently for every single person. And so when you take a minute and you step back and you look at your story, when you look at who you are, how does radical and resilience show up for you? I would say radical in the sense of the abruptness of my new persona that's coming up. It was a pretty radical leap of faith that I took. And then resiliency, just stepping into the torrential waters of this work and swimming across that river to discover what was on the other side. You know, and that took a lot of a lot of resiliency on my end of things to, you know, I kept wanting to swim back and go backwards you know, because there was a lot of pain coming up and a lot of things were really just coming to light in my head and in my, in my body. And I didn't know that I wanted to push forward and pushing forward through dealing with, with old traumas and, and looking for the, looking towards the light and kept, keep swimming was, was difficult. So that's, that's what comes up for me first and foremost, I think. Yeah. Like really just the act of, you know, reaching that point in your life of, stepping into the things that most people don't want to confront and just despite the questions, despite the uncertainty, like pushing forward into that is a radical act that ultimately manifests itself in some resilience. Yes. Big resilience, not just some. Yeah. Got it. So with all our guests, just for the, for the listeners, we send out a couple questions and just have them answer it so we can see if they're a good fit for the show and just what they're about. And there was something that you mentioned, like old school masculine beliefs or old school masculine. I should have written down to use your exact words, but basically you were saying that forever in your life, you've lived this certain way. So what I want to know is like going back as far as you can remember, just kind of like tell us your story, but like you know, in, like very compact and stuff, but showcase what you mean for the old school masculine beliefs. Cause I think that I believe, but obviously like I'm a woman, so I didn't go through that exact process. So I'm just curious, like what you went through or where do you feel like James, like, I, I, I get that you had this major transformation and stuff and all that. And I, and I love that. And I'm really um, impressed and supportive of that, obviously. And, you know, I follow you on social media, but I want to know about like everything that got you that went in, on in your life that got you to a point where then you knew that you had to make a change or that it was worth making a change. So, and, and I'm really curious how deep that belief of the old, of the old school masculine emotional or non-emotional experiences are and where they came from. I believe what I was referring to in my questionnaire was, you know, growing up um, around my grandparents, my dad, just uncles, whatever. I saw a lot of 
just toxic masculinity and a lot of a lot of men that weren't able to process emotion a lot of men that didn't deal with confrontation with their spouses very well they dealt with confrontations with each other well to them but it was toxic it was violent usually so i saw a lot of men a being really angry and just leaving situations or fighting their way out of situations and not really facing it head on. Can I interrupt you for a second? Did you as a child think that that was, and obviously there's no right or wrong, just so I can get a better idea of what you went through. Did you as a child think that was really like, that's a strong man and that was what you like idolized or did you think this is wrong, but you, that's what I'm supposed to like, but I'm, I have to do that to get through. Or was that just like, yeah, look how tough my dad is and my uncles and my grandpa, like that's who I'm going to be. No, it scared the hell out of me. Really? I didn't think it was, was right or wrong. I just didn't know any different. And until recently and in, in research and, and digging deep, did I, did I realize that it's, it's not the right way to, to deal with stuff. It, it just, it's just difficult, kind of painful stuff to kind of realize. And, you know, I think it started, I think men were just shown and taught the wrong things. Ancestral, like ancestral men way, way back, like they had roles, everything was kind of set up. And as humans evolved, I think everything just got kind of screwed up with with television and all, all kinds of things. And women were getting put on the back burner and Men were supposed to be these big macho, you know, idolized things that didn't cry, that were just statuesque figures. And and it just kept teaching, teaching young men as they grew up to be the same way. So as that being your guidance and your example, how did you how did that play out and manifest through you as as like a young man and a teen and stuff? Well, it taught me to go hide when I wanted to cry and not be be forward with my emotions. And as that got into adulthood and whatever, that meant that I was not able to express myself very well. I wasn't able to communicate. And these are still things I'm really struggling with almost daily right now. And I think a lot of guys are. But yeah, that's that's basically it. Like we were not taught to process our emotions. So really we're a bunch of closed off humans that that can't can't speak our truths. We can't Can you give me a specific example where maybe that is something that you did, uh, you know, like either just something you did as a disservice to you or that you did to, you know, a partner that you're with or that how you treated toxic masculinity. I can, you know, play out in so many different ways. I'm just, just for us to get a better understanding. Cause I think we haven't, we've had, you know, 20 something guests that we've interviewed and we haven't really got to talk to someone who uh, embodied and had a, like a dance with, facing and confronting and then overcoming toxic masculinity. So I'm really curious what it looked like to then hear about what you worked through. So in, in, in prior relationships, we would get in fights, yell and scream at each other. I mean, I've gone as far like punching holes in walls. I've headbutted a wall before, like just really to, and to get, to get that anger out and not, not really do it properly. And my current partnership that I'm in right at the moment is really at 42 years old, my first adult conscious partnership relationship. And she has helped me help me out by showing me and having nice civilized conversations and dealing with conflict with me 
and just kind of helping me realize that I'm not processing these things good for myself. I'm not able to like really fully open up, really have these really deep, intimate conversations. And it's because I have a bunch of fear that's built up. I have, I can't process my anger. Like as soon as I met with some confrontation, I'd close off and and I turn into this little boy. Like I have, you know, all my boy energy comes to the surface. And that's because it takes me back to confrontation I witnessed as a child, like a bunch of negative fighting, yelling, screaming, punching, breaking dishes, windows, like all this stuff. And anytime I met with confrontation, I go back to that place. And it's been taking a lot of work. I hired a coach to work with a lot of meditation, a lot of really processing and bringing up these old memories to teach myself and reprogram how to, how to process these things. So yeah, I was definitely had a lot of toxic problems with, with, with releasing my anger. And up until recently, was I able to kind of sit back and sit with it, breathe, breathe through it, let it, let it enter and go. If that all makes sense. It's, it's a difficult thing to talk about. It's really kind of, it's super complex and I'm just now getting through it. So you know, you say in your bio that you've been on this journey for two years. Did you have like an aha moment that launched a change or, you know, were you, was it, was it a seeing of a pattern or was it, what was the turning point? So I was in a, in another relationship and I was feeling really stuck. I was in it for, for years and years really. And I didn't want to leave because I was, I felt like I was trying to help this person find her happiness to find herself. And in my mind, when she found it, I was going to leave, which is such a bad thing to do. And I knew it the whole time. And I was starting to go on longer walks, like sit with myself out in the wilderness. I'm a big believer in animal omens. And I had an experience with the gray wolf in the Bighorn Mountains. And in a lot of ways, even though that was about four or five years ago, and it took a couple years for me to really put into action what that meant, which was to have courage and strength to pursue my like lone wolf, right? Like to leave and go do my thing or whatever. And really, I honestly hit a wall one morning over coffee on a Sunday. And I was just like, you know, I have to, I have to leave. We have to we have to end this relationship. And ultimately that was accumulation of trying to gather strength for a couple years to that point, which is hard to talk about. It's really difficult even to admit that to myself, but I truly thought I was doing the right thing for a person. And yeah, it was just, it was just a tough, tough moment, but yeah, that I would say was my turning point. And just after that, like I started getting into shape, I started walking a lot more that summer. I hiked close to 600 miles, just backpacking, fishing for cutthroat trout up in the mountains and through work and everything. Like I was, I was alone a lot just in the, in the mountains, just kind of figuring things out and met my current partner in that time. And she really introduced me to Well, what she said is like, if you want to work on your mental health, you got to start with your physical health. 
And I was, you know, in that amount of time, a year and a half, I've lost close to 65 pounds now. Just for people listening, uh, because they can't see you, he, when you posted it on social media, I mean, talk about it, a post blowing up, like (laughs) the amount of not just likes and stuff like that, but comment, like it was crazy because I, you know, and I made a comment on it. And then every time you make a comment, you know, it shows you someone else does. And I was like, I'm going to have to unnote, like take notifications off of this. (laughs) Like, I mean, it was, it was crazy. It was that it was so powerful to see what it meant to a group because some people could post that and it's no big thing they're like oh you know like oh they did this or they did that it was clear that who you are and who you have been for this community or those people or whoever your friends or family whoever you have that follows you on facebook and instagram it was clear that whatever you had done was a massive transformation from just from the responses you knew i was reading them all because i told you so i think that's i do think that's really incredible and to know that you had that much self-love and courage you know, just to step into that. Cause you did tell me and you did write in some of the questions um, that, you know, the more that you were going through, the more that you were like shoveling through all the emotions and the, you know, like the stuff from your past and the patterns and all of that, the more you see the shadow side, which is kind of a coachy word. So like for listeners that don't follow that world, it's more like the, what's perceived as a negative emotion or the darker side or the less appealing things. You know, like if I was to say I'm jealous, people might think jealous means something negative, but it's just a feeling and we don't have to make it mean anything extra. But that's basically what the shadow side is. And you also mentioned when you got to those things that were more shadow side or negative or like viewed and judged more by society, those feelings you wanted to pull back. And so there's a part of you that I didn't know about and that you just wrote about. And if if you are willing to go there, you had said that the hardest part about this transformational journey has been that you've been doing it sober because you used to fill the void with substances or adrenaline and stuff like that. Can you kind of go into what led you there? Because I totally wasn't surprised as I read it. I was like, oh, and he does mountain biking. Like this totally fits. And it's crazy because, you know, when we when we're young, subconsciously, we find what fits that part of us. You know, like I loved how I felt about myself. I just wanted I didn't want anyone hurt because I was sick and I hated everyone always feeling bad for me. So I created a whole life of comedy, you know, like subconsciously, but my whole life was doing things to make people laugh, to make sure they were always smiling and happy. And so it's just funny that we fall into these things. So I'm just curious what, how you found yourself in a place of, you know, of like addiction to whether adrenaline or dopamine or, or substances and stuff like that. And what that all looked like. Like I definitely on a daily basis look to some sort of coping mechanism. If I had a really bad day at work towards the end of the day, you know, and this is when I was probably in bike shops or what have you, I would definitely have a beer at five o'clock waiting for six to come around so I could go ride and like ride the day away. Right. Instead of, instead of dealing with it or, or figuring, figuring out what, how and why's or whatever. But, you know, and I smoked a ton of weed all, all day. Like I would say for 20 20 years, pretty easily. Like as soon as I woke up, first thing I would do, it's on the nightstand first thing in the morning. And then when I went to bed and filled all space in between. So, you know, I I justified that to myself as like, Oh, it's like if someone's having a cigarette or something, that person is also coping, you know, in some way, shape or form. Oh, I had a bad, bad time with that customer. I'm going to go outside and smoke a bowl. Oh, I should have a shot of whiskey. I'm going to sit here and tie flies you know, and just tie the day away or whatever. It was a bad day. I'm going to have some whiskey, smoke some bongs and just get rid of it, not think about it. I think that's the key is to not 
if, if we're doing that, we're trying not to think about something. Right. Did you find that it was harder because the mountain bike culture and the culture kind of of the bike shops and stuff um, is it is normalized to have a beer and then like go around and stuff? Did you, so did you feel like you could actually not you just anyone in that kind of thing could slip into that stuff easier? Because I know for comedy, it's a really <clears throat> like dark community with a lot of bad habits that that exist in it that you could see if you wanted to see then were you able to kind of use that we're like oh well, i'm having a beer with the guys at five like it's no big deal if if there was an awareness that like is this kind of taking over my life you could always sort of like validate it yes i will definitely say it is extremely difficult to be in my line of work and do my activities and not have a beer you know, I go meet a new client. Yeah. I go meet a new client. I give them a call when I show up to their city. The first place, hey, where do you want to meet to talk about this project? Oh, there's this great brewery. Or, hey, there's this great bar. Or anything like that. And, you know, now I'm like, oh, do they have like a good craft kombucha on tap? Because that would help <laughs> me feel like I belong here with you people. Nice. Oh, man, I love that. <laughs> so it's, I got to turn to that sometimes, which is nice. Like good stuff. One thing that I am hearing is that as a theme in your life, it's really interesting to me because I see it even carrying through this transformational time is that you really are, you really are a stand for other people to find their self-expression. I see that in you and I see it in the way that you look back on your childhood the way that you've described the male figures in your life of even like your reaction to that of being terrified, which is really like a traumatized feeling for a kid, you know, but not having anything else to compare it to. But even at that, that moment, there was something inherently not okay with you in the inability of the people around you to be fully self-expressed, to be able to feel their emotions and do something with it. And then, you know, even the story of like moving forward to, finding yourself in this relationship where the other person finding their voice was taking precedent over your your ability in that moment to like take a look at where you were lacking that self-expression for yourself. And then now, you know, examining all of these themes as you're going through this transformation of like finding that that place where you can be like, I see you in your culture and like, I got to find my own place. Like it's, it's like you're, you're discovering that your voice is as relevant as anybody else's around you. And that in fact, like might be able to enhance the conversation or enhance the relationship or enhance the moment. If you can just find your, your little spot in there. And like, <laughs> I really like, I really, I really find that, um, the word that immediately popped in my head was enchanting. Like, I think you're really, I'm engaged in this part of who you are. Um, and I'm so curious of like, you know, as you are still living in these cultures and finding, finding your own spot in it, like, how do you stop the slide backwards? Because what I'm hearing is that like these people in your past from your childhood, you, you inherently understand that they were just struggling to to express themselves in a healthy way. You know, that that's what was missing. The thing that was missing was their ability to just be with their emotions, have them expressed, feel heard, feel seen, you know, and that what, because it wasn't the culture, they struggled and they lost out and all the people around them lost out. You lost out, you know, the, their partners lost out. And, and that sort of, you know, you've come to a point where you're done with, with everybody losing out. 
but it's hard to change culture around you, especially when the people that you're dealing with on a regular basis have not transformed, you know, they're still the same. They're still doing the same things. They're maybe not, you know, maybe they're struggling with some of the same culturalisms that you were struggling with. And like, here you are. And, and as soon like, you're right. As soon as you get confronted with the dark side of things or feeling shame or feeling like wrong or bad you know, making yourself wrong, you know, for the way that you were or that, or, you know, a thing that happened in your past, like as you're like, it's so easy to just like hide back in the dark, right. Pick up the beard, like dive back into the culture that is there ready and waiting for you with open arms. And yet, you know, there's something inside of you that is on a quest to say like, no, none of that stuff belongs in the dark anymore. And it's nothing to be ashamed of. It's perfectly understandable given how I was raised. And now I'm picking something else. And, and either like that's perfect. And how I am now is how I'm choosing to be. And that's fine too. Like what keeps you on that path of like, I know I'm just going to sit in it. Like I'm going to sit in it and feel these feelings, even though I'm super embarrassed that I'm having them or that I'm having this, you know, this memory is coming up and I'm really embarrassed about the way I handled that. Like going to deal with it. Like what, like what is the, the tool that you turn to in that moment to like stay in that place of not just being a stand now for other people's self-expression, but yours and like exemplifying it. Just staying my new course. Yeah. Basically. Stay the new state. Like what helps to stay the, the new course? Stay in the new course. Because <laughs> you mountain bike, you know how you would know how to get off the course easily and be like, well, we're gonna go this way. <laughs> yeah, hang on. Hang on. Um really just God, the proof's in the pudding, I guess is a simple way to put it. As soon as I started feeling results and felt my energy lightening and feeling more alive, like looking in the mirror and, and physically seeing a shift in energy, having people tell me that they see a shift in energy and the way my body feels like all these things like accumulate and like, I just feel great. I just really feel good. And, and it makes me want to keep pushing forward. What about at the beginning of the change when you when you knew you wanted to change, you want to like strip away the toxic masculine lady. You want to get away of like that men can't talk about their feelings and do all this stuff. And you want to step into it because yes, it's an, that's a clear decision. You want to do that. You want to strengthen your relationship, you know, with your partner, you want to be a better person and an example. Uh, and you know how you've hurt people in the past by not stepping in and speaking up. So, you know, logically, you know, one thing, but then to, to do the work at the beginning, because for sure, once you see the results, like both your weight loss, you know, and everything else, once you have that, then it's easy to stay on. But man, that beginning part, you know, it's even when you get on a treadmill, the first 10 minutes is miserable. And then it's like, okay, then it will get a little bit easier. So when you made the decision, so I like, I get the point that, you know, how you were living and then the cost of how you were living finally outweighed. So you made the decision to, to make a life shift. And then you got to the point where you just explained to Lara that you saw the results change. But what about that middle part where like it literally, it's grueling. We all know because anything you've gone through, what kept you dedicated to your decision? I guess me as a person, I always want to keep moving forward. You know, in my work, I don't consider going backwards ever an option. Like there's only one way to go. And having that mindset from the beginning is is going to be crucial. But, you know, I wrote about this the other day in my social media, and I've been discussing it with a, with a few people on on different different posts and things. But I was stuck in a place where I was really pissed off and angry as things with my parents were coming up and not really having any solid mentors growing up, any of those kinds of things. So 
as I was digging through all the BS, uncovering my shadow, realizing that that was a whole lot of pain and brought up a ton of anger for me. I was so densely weighed down by everything. I was just like stuck and people around me were telling me that my, I'm just really grumpy and my, my energy was heavy. I wasn't able to really communicate well. So it took me getting to that point to be like, well, I don't really want to live in this space at all because I'm going to be stuck here if I don't do something about it. So then took the leap across the bridge of my old and new self because there was like, you know, building a bridge across that river I referred to. And my fun old happy James self is on the other side. And then dense, dense James that's figuring out all this stuff is on one side and is on a finger's reach. Like I couldn't quite get across it. That really just took me like, I think there comes a point in the work where you have to, you have to say, you know what, like, I'm not going to be okay sitting here with all this pain and anger. And I need to make this jump. Like he's right there. I need to go over there and give that guy a hug because he misses me. That's what I did. It just really takes, you have to have the courage and strength to, to jump that gap. Otherwise you're just going to be stuck and you're going to have locked jaw and you're not going to be able to, to move on. The word that comes up for me is acknowledgement, right? That like, you found yourself really confronted with the pain of the past of looking around and saying there was no model for the, for that new guy on the other side of the river. Right. I've had to invent him from nothing. And I'm sitting here with the pain of that. And I could sit here forever, but I don't want to do that either. But that you had to have that moment of acknowledging that that was what was, you know, that, that this was the past and it sucked and you have pain around it. And, and that once that acknowledgement was complete, like you saw it, you looked at it, you acknowledged it for what it was. And then you, you saw this other, this new James fun, fun James, like that you've invented from nothing. Like you've just, you created him like as this new transformation into who you're going to be. And like, you're like, all right, got to just leap. Like, you, like, it's just faith at that point. It's faith that when you, that, that when you, you know, after you've seen what is, and you've made your piece of it, or decided that I don't ever have to be okay with this. Like, it just is what it is. Like, I, like, I acknowledge that it happened. I acknowledge that this is how I feel about it. And now I'm going to take a literally a leap of faith. I have no idea if this is going to work or not, but then you just, you just like went for it. You're like, all right. So what happens that after you acknowledge it, if you just leave it there and move and take a step forward into like some breathing space from that. And it's really a different thing from not ever acknowledging the pain and trying to move forward because then it's still there and it's like manifesting itself in anger and like lack of self-expression or numbing. Cause you said you were like smoke weed all yeah, the time. Yeah. Like, like pinning yeah, it down. Exactly. Like there's a difference between saying, okay, I looked at you, I dealt with you and now I'm moving forward. Like they're two, they're two separate things. And I really heard that, that, that like one of them, like when the lack of acknowledgement and trying to move forward just kept you in a place where you needed to continuously work on numbing things. And then, but this new, experience was really different from that because it was, you did give it the time and the space to be ornery and angry and like, you know, have feelings about it and, and like let them out and then moved forward. And then miraculously it just gave you peace. That's what I got out of what you shared. <laughs> I I have a question. So when you, um, and mostly it's, it's mostly just because I want the listeners to hear all different ways that this shows up when you did the work and when you 
when you realize that like who I am and how I've acted and the things that I'm doing are from examples that I learned from other people who were doing, you know, the best that they had. Like, you know, when, when I talk to my parents and stuff, you know, my mom will be like, well, I didn't know any better. You know, and I'm like, no, no, I'm not blaming you. I'm just, I'm connecting the pieces and I'm seeing that this is what it is. And, you know, in my situation, it's the whole thing. Cause then there's like a blame and it turns into a whole different thing. But that's what I'm curious about. Cause I think that's a certain flex, a certain muscle of resiliency is, did you ever confront the the past or was it something that you just had to personally be like, okay, that happened and let it be. And like forgiveness, you did the best job you could with what you knew, you know, like, and kind of just made peace with it. Or did you try to then have conversations um, with it to address it? I'm just curious what that looked like. Cause there's no right or wrong way to do it. It's whatever works for you. But I feel, I feel like with everyone that, that I meet with, meet with or talk to or work with through resiliency work, there's an element of understanding your past and how it played into it and whatever that relationship with your past needs to be for you to then leave that there, you know, to then create the infinite possibilities moving forward. So I'm just curious in that journey, while you're doing the work, moving forward, making all these amazing transformations physically, emotionally, mentally for you, spiritually, how did you make peace as far as much as you can, because it's an ongoing process, no matter where you are in the thing with your with your past and those people. So I was definitely met with a lot of anger, you know, and that was that phase I was I was stuck in there for for a few months. And in that time and in working with Xavier, my coach, we brought up my past traumas. I processed them. We did some release ceremonies. And from that I was able to quote unquote forgive those past those past experiences, my parents, what have you. My talks are on my to-do list. I have not got there yet, but I feel a lot better about it now than I did then. I think if I would have had those talks before I appropriately forgave them and accepted that they did their best then I think it would have came out pretty negative and harsh to them and probably would have really hurt them. Where now I feel like I've processed the emotions enough. I've forgiven them for their mistakes. You know, like you said with your mom, she did her best. I now know truly my parents and my parent figures, whoever in my past, they did their best. They didn't know any different. It's not their fault. And I know that now. Like we think, we think uh, we're all around the same age and we think emotional intelligence wasn't there for us growing up. Like imagine what they went through because it definitely wasn't okay when our parents were growing up. Yeah, right, right. Well, this is how I feel. And when you do that, (laughs) I feel this way. Like I'm sure, you know, then my dad would have been just like hit. Exactly. (laughs) No, no, we're not listening to you. Kid doesn't talk like that. I have another question and... And it's definitely like more of a selfish question, but it's because I was in the mountain bike community, um, you know, like around a lot of it. When you started making the transformation, because I've seen just when someone like treated a girl nice or something, just the, the, I don't know what the word is, but the amount of shit that the guys would get when they're like, they would be nice to a girl. And then I would watch them all and they're like, oh, come on, don't be a pussy, you know, like and all this different stuff. And I'm not saying that all the, all the, you know, mountain bikers or dirt bags or whatever you want to, I, I'm not saying that community is bad, but that was, there was definitely such a mask. There was such a front to these guys that you had to kind of have this like 
ego or whatever leading you. And, and I'm like, why wouldn't you be nice to her? Your girlfriend's really nice. Like she's an amazing person. But there was this like, oh, come on. No, you know, and stuff like that. So I can't imagine. And I love because I've been watching your posts and I saw some of the guys that I actually know from like um, Breck Epic and all those things. I've seen them post. I'm just so curious how that was met because you've made all these choices for you. It isn't about what anyone else thinks anymore, but we'd be lying if as a human, we didn't say that we don't hear that, you know, and that doesn't like kind of, did you get any like, like clap back from, you know, from the community or kind of like, what are you doing? Or now that you created a group, like, Hey, I'm here to, you know, bring the conversation of emotions and all this to men. I actually saw some people that I was really impressed wrote that they were like, tell me more, or add me to the group. And I was like, cool. Um, was there a resistance to doing it or to announcing it? Cause there's sometimes we can make a change, but we're not going to tell everyone because those people, which I think if you're going to make a stance in this world, you stand, whether you have a million people supporting you or you're all alone, that's like a true stance, which I think is what you did. And now you're seeing people show up, but did, was there like hate or anything that came at you? Cause I think that would be the scary part and what would maybe paralyze people with their resiliency. I had some reservations about all of it because of the old bro bra community and, and me being such a, a figure in it for so many years. Like I was, I was, I, I was scared about how I was going to be perceived by them. It went great. It was really amazing. I had so many text messages and, and private messages and, and public, public posting as well. But a lot of those guys that were coming out of the woodwork were doing it on the back end of things so that they couldn't be seen by the public <laughs> and, and exposing them. They're not ready like, to go there yet. But <laughs> like, oh, bro, so deep, man. It really moved me what you said, dude. Uh, so like. And that's the beauty because you living this way now, you living as James on the other side, like it doesn't matter if you have their approval or not. And it doesn't matter if they admit their acceptance. Like that's awesome that people did message you, but even the people who aren't, you know, they're watching and they're watching. There's some people who are just from whatever they went through in their past are like, well, I want to make sure he sticks with this for X amount of time before like, no, he's going to come back. You know, there's people who want to, for their own story to stay true, want you to fail and they'll hold out longer. But I think the more and more you do it, the more you just like live in that way of being then there's, it's undeniable and people are, you're going to draw people in it. People are going to be there. So I think it was courageous because I, I have met few communities that I've seen as judgmental vocally about one another that literally would also have each other's back. So it was, it was crazy to me. So I, I was curious. I was like, I, wa I wonder, I wonder if there was some kind of like resistance or whatever, to, you know, to just show up that way. Oh, it was great. Full, full support. And I'm really, you know, in, in my work and, and creating my men's group, part of my mission is to, is to like appeal to that group of guys because they are so closed off and they do live behind a, behind a cloak of beer and weed and mountain bikes and adrenaline. Like, and that's just a fact. And out of, out of all the men I know, they're the hardest group to tap into because they every day just fade to black. They don't really show anything about, about what they're stoked about. Right. So I'm trying to make it comfortable for these guys to do the work and, and to be seen and heard and felt and loved and held all these things and to be talked to on a level, because as I'm coming in and doing this work, I'm having a hard time. If I'm talking to someone that's really well-educated, you know, and they, I feel like they're speaking over my head and I kind of get lost with it, you know, whereas I'm trying to kind of bridge that gap and integrate the bro bra realm 
and this deep psychological, spiritual realm and mesh them together. And the minute you're talked down to, I think people shut off. So if there's someone that's coming to you with like an, a little bit of resistance, if you talk down to them, they're going to be like, F this. And, you know, and they're going to have a reason then to leave. So the fact that you share a conversation with them versus educating them or coming as like, I know more than you, you're just like, Hey, this is what I'm doing. And, you know, like, and I think that's, I think that's the most incredible way to approach that kind of community, not just mountain bikers, anyone where there is, you know, a resistance or a level of kind of how they normally show up. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, I think it's important. You want them to be comfortable and, and as a group of guys, there's no other group of guys with as fragile of ego as, as extreme athletes of sorts. They are, they have extremely fragile egos. That's why they are proving something to themselves every day. Is, is, is it because they're strong with themselves? It's because they're trying to one-up themselves all the time because they're fragile. And that's why it's so difficult for them to seek help and be talked to over. Yeah. And it's really interesting thinking about like how, when you're into extreme anything, and particularly when you're on the successful side of the extreme sports or the extreme ways of living, it really sort of, it's hard to separate your, your, who you really are with that identity, right? It like, you almost adopt like this, the whole, like the culture, the image, this, the, the time that you put up, the, the, course that you, you know, can lay down or whatever that, that, that becomes the mask that you wear outside every day. And what really, what really is, I think is so interesting, um, of what you just shared is that when you were authentic and vulnerable and shared your story and created this group, I love that you got all these like private secret messages, right? Because (laughs) I think what that, what I'm hearing in that is that at no point were any of you alone with the things that you were feeling at no point were any of you the only person who ever felt that way and then didn't know how to deal with it. And that like, as soon as someone was brave enough to be like, uh, wait a minute, like (laughs) this is, you know, I'm, I'm ready to lay this down and to, you know, actually say the things that I feel and to get into some of this work. And it's really made a difference for me. Suddenly I feel light and free and happy and fun and not angry. And I have better relationships and guess what? It's like actually great. And everybody else is like, Oh man, I actually want that. Like that's, I don't know. I don't know how you did it. I've secretly wanted it all along and I don't know how to be vulnerable (laughs) like that yet. Like I haven't figured that skill out yet, but like, I can at least admit you cry it quietly that I want that too. Like that's what I'm seeing, like what I see in your story. And I like really love it. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, I was told to try to reach one person. And in that first big post Katie's referred to within five minutes, I got a private message from a guy. James, your story really resonates with me. This is why. Yeah. And I'm like, well, holy cow, there's the one. It's been five minutes. Mission accomplished. A couple hundred messages later, right? I'm like, wow, this Unbelievable. is this is really needed. And guys and and women too needed it. They needed to hear that it's okay to suffer, it's okay to have pain. It's also it's achievable to move to move forward. You have, you have the ability. So there's a a woman who just reached out to me to become a client. 
um, for coaching. And I am not, I won't use her exact words, but she's basically wanted to work through the reason why she keeps going back to dirtbag cyclists and that she knows how she's treated with all of them. She knows how toxic it is. Like she had a whole list and she's like, I don't know what it is. She lives in Colorado. Um, and she's all stuff and she's like, you know, and, and she's so she's addicted to the, to the community. She's addicted to that. Like, you know, and she's used to being kind of just disposable, I guess, and, you know, it's come. So it's so funny to listen to her and then know that we were going to have our interview soon and stuff. So, cause I was just thinking what a gift you are now to that community, because in your stance, to, to bring this work there when people are ready. I mean, everyone doesn't have to come work with you right away because everyone's not at their at the spot in the journey for the change. That's, and that's totally okay. Some people need to go through hell for another few decades, which is unfortunate, but that's the path that they're on. But I was like, what a incredible example you are. Cause now, you know, here's a girl calling with like riddled with pain from a community that you also know and are part of. And and then you're going to be able to be the example. And I just was so happy. Like I didn't, obviously I didn't tell her, but I was like, could you imagine if there's a shift in that community? Can you imagine if there's one, one man alone who shifts and changes? And then there's people who see that. And it has to begin with one person, one brave, resilient MFR. And that's you like, you know, from that. And so it was so, it was cool to have her conversation have her want to work and, you know, and talk it through. And then also know in the back of my head that there are people, cause that was her dream was like, if one guy could just step up and change the conversation, if one guy would call them out on their, you know, shit and stuff. And so it's, it's incredible to know that you are willing to do that because I said, you know, well, what's the possibility that that would happen? Obviously knowing I can send her your, this episode once it's done, but, and she just said, Oh, it's never, it would never happen. None of them would ever risk their, legacy, you know, like your, your name in the community. And so she was pretty adamant that that's, that's how it was and stuff. And I think in, and here you are doing all this work. And I also love that you said, I've only been doing this work for a short time. It's been like two years or something loosely, uh, because I think for all the listeners and everyone to remember, it is not a quick process. It's a lifelong journey, no matter what, because even the stuff I've mastered and I can be really good and I can have all this stuff. If it shows up in a different way of trauma, it's, it's a new trauma for me. So no matter how many tools I have in my toolbox, they maybe worked for all my chronic illness and my this and my that, but they might not work for this new trauma and that's okay. And I think the minute we take the pressure off of ourselves, that it has to be done in a certain amount of time. Uh, I loved that you had stated that like, yeah, short time, two years. Cause I think that's what people need to know is learn to love the journey and, and not need to because especially for an adrenaline journey, a junkie, I'd feel like you'd be like, got to get to the ending. I got to finish this. I got to get to the end goal. And it's six months. Beauty is about everything. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) If I don't do it, I'm going to shave my head. Like it's, I'm, I just think it's incredible that you actually honor what the process is because the process is incredible. I mean, there's so many beautiful things that happen to it. (laughs) I took one class and I'm perfect now. (laughs) I'm kidding. (laughs) Guilty as charged. I was, I was feeling, I had ants in my pants. I was like, let's get this over with. And then like, no, that's not going to happen. You know, I used the analogy in a post the other day and I was like, it's going to be like climbing a mountain and there's going to be a bunch of false summits and you're going to fall and you're going to slide back down the hill a little ways. But if you dig in deep and pull yourself up and just keep moving forward, like still going to fall and slide backwards. But if if you want to get to the summit, you have to work for it and you have to keep clawing your way up the hill. It's just how it goes, but do not forget to turn around and look at the view. Yeah. I love that. Ah, mic drop. 
<laughs> All right. So I've got a question, a final question before we move on to our super fun game. You might, while well, you might have been the the one man, the first one to step up, what advice would you have for the second, right? What's one way that the, the second man that's going to step up and make a change, what's one thing that he could do or really that any of us could do that would help bring us into this game of resilience, this, this transformational um, place that you're in. Like what would be, what would be the first step up the summit, up the first false summit? Like what's that one? (laughs) Well, it's going to be like anything. If, if that man can, can work a section of trail over and over again until it's, until he can make that move up, up, up the rock or hit that jump, hit that drop he's been eyeing up. Like, if, if he has the commitment to, to make that move, then he more than more than has enough commitment to, to do this work and to better himself and to move forward. You just got to focus that energy to another, another, another way. Like, it's just, you just have to go for it. And, and any, any man in, in mountain biking, snowboarding, rock climbing, whatever, like all of them have a moment in their lives where, they either do the move or they don't. And most of them will take pride in, you know what, I, I, I got over that rock today. And if you have that mentality, then you, you have the ability to take that first, second, third, fourth step on for the rest of your life to complete your journey. Like it's, it's, it, and both of them can bring pain and both of them can bring pleasure. Like just keep, keep, keep looking forward. It's, it's right there. It's within grasp. Ah, what a perfect analogy. Ah, yay. Thank you so much for sharing your wisdom with us. That was really, Oh, you're welcome. Thank you. Yes. Thank you. Thank you for trusting us. Cause I know that you were, had a lot of like, I'm not sure if I want to do this or what's it like, or let me, so thank you just for trusting that. I was like, it's just a conversation. Like we're here to have fun and, and just, Oh, it's great. It's, it's easy, but I know that there's a lot, you know, there's a lot of podcasts that want you to fit it into a formula and we, our formula was just be you. We find our way. <laughs> no, this is, this was great. This is a really good time. And yeah, I had a little bit of, I was a little, had some reservations, but that's just me being me. <laughs> Got it. Well, now <laughs> we get to do the fun game part and it's um, to honor time. It's a quick game, but it's just to remind people to be in the and be present and the power of play like just something fun and in the moment so i'm going to name a color you're going to find something that color and then you're going to bring it back so you have 30 seconds and if you don't have anything that color then you can think of something in your head the color is going to be um red go okay not the, not the funnest thing oh it doesn't have to be that it was just gonna show us what you got my new single track trails hoodie for the company here, the employee hoodie. How can how can I get one? We can we can talk about that. Yeah. <laughs> that looks cozy. I love a I good know. hoodie. If I'm being honest, pretty comfy. <laughs> I love them, especially when my when I have flare ups with my disease, when my stomach blows huge. To be in a hoodie is just like, you know, no one. Can, it's not like pushing out in a shirt. No one can see it. I love it. I love a hoodie. A hoodie is like my saving grace for having an illness. If I have a confession, it's that I don't ever wash my hoodies because then they're not as soft anymore in the middle. Like the inside, they're not as soft anymore. Yes. But I 
I wash I'll wash my work hoodies, obviously. They get dirty, but you know, my casual hangout lounging hoodies. I don't ever wash them. All the listeners now know. <laughs> Somebody needs to like come up with a solution for that because I am full agreement with you. I never want to wash my hoodies, especially the softest ones. Cause I'm like, well, then they won't be soft anymore. Uh, I'm right there with you all in Katie. What's your red thing? He came down and he has a red collar on and he came while we were talking. It's rebel. He's right here sleeping. A golden retriever with a red collar. Sleeping golden retriever with a red collar. All oh, rub, rub. Pretty rub. cute. He broke in. He knows he's not supposed to be down. Oh, there he is. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> from, from pulling my dad today when my dad was in his little walker thing. Look at it. Yeah, he's a red collar. That was red. I'm feeling a little jealous of his nap right now. <laughs> right? I'm like, that is a hard nap, and I want that for myself. <laughs> um, all right, so my thing that's red, I grabbed it off the, my bookshelf, and the cover is a map of Wales, and it's a scrapbook that I made on the plane on the way home from my trip to Wales that I did that I went on with my mom in 2000. And, oh, the place. At first I thought you meant Wales. Like No, Wales, the country. And it was 2007, June 13th to June 21st, which I only know because I actually wrote it down, the date on here. And like, I kept like all of like these little things. I wrote a journal of the, of what we did every day and how I felt. And I like kept like postcards and clippings of the places that we went. I drew pictures. I put stickers of sheep in here. I like, I, and I wrote like diary style, like about arguments that my mom and I had and dreams I had at night and personal things that were going on, but like all within the course of like doing this road trip through Wales with my mother. And, um, I was like, I've done a couple of books like this and I'm like, I mean, I should do this again for, for like the next trip I go on, because this is a really fun book to look back at and remember like the fun, but also the drama, like, hello, a trip with your mom across like overseas, like everything from just like being comfortable driving with one of us driving on the uh, on the opposite side of the road, the opposite side of the car when you have two high strung control freaks <laughs> trying to figure that out. Like it was, it was a thing. So, but we had an awesome time together, and I I'm just so grateful that I wrote this and I can look back and like just see growth as well as have a good memory. So that's awesome. That's what I got. That's amazing. James, uh, tell all of the people where they can find you. So if they, so if you know, they're a member of the community that could be involved with your men's group or people want to find you on social media or like, where do you want people to go? Uh, what do you want them to get involved in? So if you're interested in the men's group, it's called men at Mana men's circle. And it's a private group on Facebook. I think I have it open so people can search it and find it. So Mana M-A-N-A men's circle. And on Instagram, I am Original Flow Farmer. And Facebook, I'm just James Flatten. So my platforms reach out. Let's have some conversations and let's move some stuck energy and cruise through life. Let's do it. I love it. Uh, so now we've come to our final segment called Get Out of Here. And uh, the fun part about this is on our podcast, we don't get out of here to the regular world. We're all getting out of here to an imaginary place that that imaginary world could come from a book, a TV show, a movie, a some like what any place, any place, comic book, 
cartoon, whatever. It just can't be real. So when you get out of here, what world are you getting out of here to? I'm going to a waterfall and a lake in the mountains. That's where I'm going personally. <laughs> I don't have any movie show references. I got none of that. I don't have any of that in my life. You're like the real world actually provides the perfect place to get out of here too, <laughs> you fools. It does. <laughs> like Mother Nature. Mother Nature. I got, I got my safe space in my head. That's where I'm gonna go. Oh God, I would not. I would choose to evacuate my head immediately. <laughs> no safe space in there, Katie. <laughs> no, I'm out. I will live. I will choose to be outside of anywhere in this head. <laughs> in Mother Nature. I agree. I'd also be in Mother Nature. Mother Nature. Where are you getting out of here to today, Katie? Or was that your alignment with going? Are you going with James to the top? I'm going to go. I'm going to flow. I'm going to be in flow with the flow farmer. Yeah, let's roll. Let's do it. I like Unless it. you wanted your place to have no company because I'm because then I'm really going to ruin things. <laughs> no, it's beautiful. But it's I'm bringing beautiful. a hammock chair. I'm bringing a hammock chair. Oh, good. There's certainly a tree. And the dogs can come. Katie doesn't go anywhere without them. <laughs> they don't go anywhere. He came here. I shut the doors. Reb slams his head through the door to get out here. There's an aqua blue lake for them to swim in. So, <gasps> well, Laura, nice. better here. come. What? Are, I'm being peer pressured. It doesn't take much. <laughs> <laughs> I like, I, I mean, we've been talking my language in terms of like, activities that I like to do like mountains. Like I believe rock climbing was mentioned. Um, although maybe not the most positive light, but like, I really like, (laughs) I like being in, I like biking. I like running. I like climbing things. I like mountains. I like lakes. I like swimming across lakes. I like, I like smelling mountain air instead of city air. I like all of those things. (laughs) And, um, you know, it sounds, I'll pack the snacks. <laughs> Wherever I go in my perfect imaginary place always has great snacks. So and bring the dog treats, the special dog treats. That's right. Yeah. Uh, yep. this sounds great. I'm I'm all on board for getting out of here to the top of a mountain by a lake. That sounds awesome. absolutely ideal. Oh, thank you so much. James, you've been amazing. Thank you. Thank you so much for being the guest and sharing so much stuff about your personal life. And just trusting this whole process. We know that the more stories are out there of all different ways to get resiliency, people will have permission to to step into their journey because it doesn't have to look like anything, you know, that they were told by society that it should look like. So you are helping our movement and it means a lot to us. Absolutely. Well, thank you. It's my pleasure to be here. And uh, thanks, ladies. Yeah. Thanks, James. And goodbye, everybody. We love you. Bye, everyone. We love you. Bye. Don't forget to like and subscribe on your favorite podcast app and leave us that sweet five-star review. It helps people find us and makes our hearts ever so happy. You can follow me, Laura Ingalls, at LJ Ingalls on Instagram and Twitter. And me, Katie Lasky, at Katie Lovebomb on Instagram. Or follow the pod at Rad Resilient Pod on Instagram and Twitter. And check us out on the web at RadicalResiliencePodcast.com. However you find us out there in this virtual world, know that we are so glad you're here. We love you and we'll see you next week.